like you can admit that and say like, because knowing your weaknesses is really important. But I think that when you want to get a job at like a big company or one of these places, like that isn't going to really necessarily cut it all the time to say that I don't really do this because getting it like to look really polished in your portfolio, to look really nice, it, like your portfolio should be sort of like a museum. Welcome to the What is UX podcast, the show where we interview design leaders about their journey and experience so that you may learn from them. I'm your host, Peck Pompat. Hello, everyone. On this episode of What is UX podcast, we have senior product designer at Meta, Eric Arias. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. So you're very welcome. Just a little background with Eric. Used to be, had experience at Chicago Sun-Times, also a fellow Chicago native like myself, DevMind, an agency at Pivotal Labs, very well-known software development agency, and then VMware, and then finally Meta. Yeah. Yeah. Just so in this episode, we will talk about topics. Uh, Eric is a huge mentor at ADP List, which is where I found him. And so we'll talk about some of the mentorship and guidance, for example, like topics like portfolio reviews, things like people are curious, like how does one get a job at Meta and these amazing companies? We'll dive into that. So before we do that, Eric, could you give us a little bit of background? Like, how did you get into design? I think, you know, you and I, we, we talked and it was like not a very traditional background in design. So I'd love to hear more. Yeah. So I definitely bounced around a lot and like trying to figure out like what exactly I was like early on in my career. Like I was never your prototypical designer. Like I remember early in my career, someone said, you're not a designer. And I was like, wait, what? Because like, I don't know if there's folks out there, like I'm sure there are, but like I bounce around between engineering and design, never like back in engineering, but I like to do like a lot of front end. And I tried to play that as long as I could to kind of be a generalist in both worlds until I got to the point where I was like, all right, I really need to make a decision here. And so, you know, I just really stuck with like design and got more into design thinking and all of that stuff stuff, but really uh, still kind of rely a lot on that, like sort of developer mindset to really kind of, you know, think through how like, you know, tools are built and like having empathy for my engineers and things like that. And so, you know, at some point, you know, the UX field and product design just became like this behemoth, right? And like just consumed, like, just so like just started drawing so many people from so many different backgrounds like even today to this day like you find people in from like psychology from the sciences like all these different fields and like now i feel like i'm finally in that place where i'm like ah i'm a designer <laughs> <laughs> well sure. having having background various backgrounds i think feeds and makes you a better designer i think your your engineering background developer background helps because if you know how to how it needs to be built. You have that empathy, very similar to you. I was kind of in both sides. And if I knew, if I designed it a certain way, that would mean more work for me down the line of coding it. And I think that made me a better, more empathetic designer for, for at least the developers, maybe not for the businesses or the end users, but definitely for the developers. I had empathy of if I did it this way, it'd be easier. If I did it this way, you know, you could just use that there's already a bootstrap component for that or whatever component, you know, these days that the kids use. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And like just working with engineers, like it just makes you more efficient and like they kind of like 
have a diff- deeper respect, right? I, like my brother's an architect and he went over into the construction side because the one thing that stuck with me that he would say would be like, an architect knows how to draw a line, but do they really understand what that line means? Like that's a wall, like how much does it reinforce? Like, and so like, that's kind of what I've always kind of equated, like having that background in engineering to be. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of backgrounds, uh, tell us a bit about your background, your upbringing, how you grew up. Yeah. So, you know, I was born and raised Chicago in the city, not the suburbs, you know, a long time ago. My parents come from Mexico. They migrated to the U.S. back in like the 60s. You know, they, you know, did it for like, you know, the typical like immigrant story, right? For a better life for their children. Just to kind of paint a picture, like my mom grew up like in one of those small towns in Mexico that looks like something from a Robert Rodriguez movie. I don't know if you ever saw that. Desperado, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. To this day, looks like that. And then my dad grew up from a mountain town, like just where basically you get all of your avocados from today. Like my dad grew up in that town, but you know, like there just wasn't a lot of work. And so, you know, they came over to this country and had three kids, you know, me, my brother, my sister. And, you know, we all like, they worked really hard. Like they started out, you know, working in factories and then they knew that they were never going to really, you know, grow out of like just you know, lower class if they like continue to just, you know, work kind of like the jobs that that were available to them. So they got into like being more entrepreneurial. And the first thing they did was they started actually selling gold to just other like Mexican-Americans is Central Americans. Actually, this gold chain right here is still from the gold that like they would sell, which, you know, put us through college. And they actually went from that to opening a restaurant. So from that, they opened three restaurants right there on Damon and Lawrence. The name, I'm embarrassed to say, but you know what, it's kind of like also, you know, you know, piece of pride for me is that uh, it was called Eric's Tacos. And so when I was a kid, like everyone would just be like, oh, you're Eric from Eric's Tacos. It's, you know, when I was young, I would be a little embarrassed. But, you know, today it's, it, you know, it's it's part of my past. So and then, yeah, just went to DePaul University and actually studied computer graphics and animation. So again, like I didn't really fall right into product design. It was kind of like starting from, you know, 3D animation. I got a, I actually got a double major in graphic design. And so kind of took that, you know, with like my background and like a little bit of coding and took that in, into into the field and, you know, did what I could with it. You didn't want to use your animation background to work for maybe like a game company or something? So there's a story there too. <laughs> so I, you know, I went to DePaul in grade school, but it was like the first year that the, I think back then it was called CTI. Yeah. So I know they changed the name like twice since I graduated. This was like 20 years ago. And so it was, it was good. It just, it was really like heavy on the theory, mm. you know, and like how shaders work and how like lighting works. And obviously you need to know that, but they didn't really teach us the software. And so I ended up going to California in 2005 to LA to do what would be like a considered kind of like a general assembly, you know, when you kind of like go in for three months and then they like train you. So I did one of those, you know, before they were a thing. And I realized like, this is really awesome. And I got to learn the tools, but then I realized that like, I got super intimidated. Like there was just so many people there that were already good enough to be working on video games. And I was just like, I have so like much learning to do. And then it wasn't so much that like I couldn't do it. It's just that I couldn't, I didn't feel like I was up for the challenge at the time. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I had already kind of started my own side hustle, like just doing graphic design. And so at that point, I just decided to, you know, stay an extra year in college and just get the double major in, in graphic design. And so I felt like, 
with that, at least I can get a job in Chicago and not have to move to California. And so <laughs> that's sort of, yeah, where that took me. And now you work for a California company. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Remote, but yeah. <laughs> so, you know, how, how did you get your first, let's say, real designer job? How did that come about? Oh, man. I don't even know which one to call my first real designer job. So after college, I got, took a job like just being like, I don't know if they still call it like webmaster, you know, you remember that? Mm -hmm. You know, for like this small startup-y kind of resale company, basically would resell like telephones, fax machines, when those were a thing. And so, yeah, I was just kind of like updating their catalog and just doing a bunch of like, you know, jack of all trades kind of stuff. But that was, I knew, always knew that was kind of like a kind of, you know, a placeholder there for my real first job. And I actually got a job with an agency and they never called me back after they verbally gave it to me. And actually, you know, a few weeks into it, I'm like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, oh, we lost our client. So that was the first big like, oh, you know, the agency world is really, you know, it's really tough. So I didn't get that job. But then I actually, like a month later, got a job with another Chicago company with Vivid Seats. So I was uh, their first designer there working directly with the CEO at the time. I mean, we were literally like five or six people in like this tiny office. And now they're like, I don't know how many thousands. And like, I think they've even gone public. But yeah, that's sort of like the first real job, I would say, where I was actually doing like web work and, you know, working on a like product team and stuff like that. And I was there for like four years. So yeah, that, that was the first one. Very nice. I actually knew so your next job was at Chicago sometimes. And I actually had had some friends over there as well. What, what were you working on over there? So that one, so at Vivid, well, before I get into that, like Vivid had a designer, uh, like design director who really kind of pushed me to get more into UX and the Sun-Times called and they said, you know, we have this you know, like new position, like we're, you know, we're starting up this like internal like, startup company called Agrigo, you know, do you want to, you know, come in and interview and like my design director at Vivid was just like, you know, like he was like advising me, like he knew that I needed to grow and be like more, like get more involved and like go downtown even like, you know, just be closer to where all the stuff is. And so I took a chance and I like, I went out there and yeah, I started there with Agrigo and we, we started building their like first CMS. So like big, basically building this thing out from scratch because at the time they were using like something off the shelf, it cost a lot of money. And so they wanted to create something that was a little bit more flexible, a little bit that they would just be able to kind of fix internally if it ever went down or anything like that. And yeah, I, I met a lot of great people there. Great, great job. I mean, it's hard though. I mean, working in the media space, it's like, you're literally, I mean, like the old adage of like building the plane as you're falling, like that's literally what that felt like. Like, I mean, imagine newspapers and media, like they just, you know, if they don't like adapt to the new landscape, it's like, it's a very hard business model to, to kind of make successful. Yeah. I, I don't think media is kind of like the only company, like startups tend to do that too. My, my, I have at least two experience where, you know, startups are building a platform, you know, yeah. but they're also want, you know, when they launch a platform, they want an ecosystem to be thriving and look like, oh, there's many companies on this platform or apps on this platform. So in at least a couple instances, they're building the platform and they want, they're hiring us to build the apps. And, you know, it's kind of like, oh, they're building the engine and we have to build the plane <laughs> or whatever, like what I use, whatever okay. analogy. Exactly. And it's a, uh, it can be a cluster. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Talk, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah but, um, you know, 
honestly though those are some of the most like you know like the biggest lessons you learn like especially early on in your career when like you just dive into like something that's so big and like the like likelihood of failure is so high it's like take at least the lessons from that right and like try to learn and try to improve on that for sure speaking of lessons you know if you're adp mentor and a lot of the you know maybe a, a common question people have and ask you for mentorship is is portfolio reviews and, and kind of career advice. Yeah. What are some tips, you know, what are some things that you critique and look for, you know, with portfolio reviews? Yeah. Um, the biggest thing I see in portfolios is like everyone wants to put everything into them. Right. And like, obviously you have your portfolio on your website, you have your resume and then you have your like presentation deck, you know, a lot of the bigger companies. And I honestly, I don't know, I haven't interviewed in a while. I'm assuming the smaller ones too now like do more of a sort of presentation style. You know, I've been through a lot of different interview types and like they've gone through like trends and stuff like that. I remember, and I'm sure they still do it, but you know, like the take home test, like, Mm -hmm. Good Lord. Like, I don't know why people, if they still do, please don't like do that anymore. Cause people are busy. Right. But yeah, yeah, no, the, the portfolio stuff, like let's just take into context, like the, you know, the, the website, like I look at a website is kind of like, just like a, like almost if the resume was a business card, right. Like where you just want to like scan through it. Who is this person? Where have they been? The portfolio would be more like, just like a, like a blurb or like a short article about you. Right. It's not really like meant to like go deep, at least not in my opinion, about like every single step you took in the design process, right? So just to give you an example, like I put analytics on my website, right? When I was interviewing and like literally the like length, average length of time that people would stay on my website was like typically under a minute. (laughs) Yeah, I am literally looking at portfolios that are just like constantly long and like just how many scrolls and just so much like just content and like just text, 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 where people feel like they need to like present everything they did, including like, oh, we did user interviews. Oh, we did this. And I feel like a lot of people like to follow this pattern of like, you know, the double diamonds and like, okay, see, Mm -hmm. I did that part. See, I did that part. Where in reality, it's like, just tell me the interesting stuff. Like, I trust that you know how to do the design, like, you know, you know how to follow a process, right? But like every situation is going to be different. So show me how you deviated from your typical design process. Show me the insights that you pulled out and how that affected the outcome. Like those are the interesting parts that are going to differentiate you from all the other designers that are out there, right? Because if you do kind of follow this, like here's the design process. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's got the same playbook. It's not that interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like what, what, again, you know, the takeaway there is, you know, looking at the stats, people generally spend, they scan the website. They don't spend a lot of time. And you have to find a way to stand out. And if everybody's kind of just regurgitating the design process, then how do you stand out? Yeah. Yeah. And like at Pivotal Labs, we were like super big about the process and it wasn't so much about the end result. It was, it was about the end result, but like, you know, once I got to Meta and like other places, it's like really about the end result, right? Like Mm -hmm. people are more interested in that final, like polished, you know, UI. Right. And I get it though, because at Pivotal, like product designers were really heavy on the research. Like we had to do everything and we were not only that, but we were training teams on how to do that. And so we had to be really good with like being methodical. And so it was just, you know, 
I think that part of it is making sure that you have those good visuals to actually, you know, polish those and put those in your portfolio. Even if like I get a, oftentimes and I fall in this camp too, like early on in my career where like a lot of designers say, I'm not a visual designer. Like I'm not that. Right. And that's, that's great. Right. Like you can admit that and say like, because knowing your weaknesses is really important. But I think that when you want to get a job at like a big company or one of these places, like that isn't going to really necessarily cut it all the time to say that I don't really do this because getting it like to look really polished in your portfolio to look really nice. It like your portfolio should be sort of like a museum. It should be like the best lighting of everything that you've ever been able to do and put all of your energy in making it look good. Right. And just in all of your work too. Right. Like you should always do that. Even if you're not that, if you're not like a visual designer, get close to the visual designers in your life and help them up level you, you know, because I mean, there are other jobs within design that you can also do, which maybe don't require that like researcher or a content designer. I think that would be my advice for product designers that kind of fall on that, like, Oh, I'm not a visual person or this or that. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and if you're joining a big company, most likely they have a design system and you can use that design system. And I don't think you need to be, you know, you can be a good UX designer without having to be a visual, great visual designer with, right. with things like that. And that can't be your excuse when there is a good design system. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me more about, you know, kind of like, I, I like the idea, you know, maybe, maybe one analogy of like your, your website shouldn't be your, your like storage, right? Like where you keep everything, but really it's, it's more like a museum and you're curating that experience in a, the last podcast, we talked about that and a similar theme of like, you know, what is, I think you, depending on the job, you want to tailor that. You don't want to show everything, you know, and, and for us as an agency, we, we kind of do the same. If, if we're talking to, you know, a cloud provider, maybe, you know, our case studies look like, a, you know, we'll, we'll tailor and show other cloud providers versus, you know, yeah. B, B2C work, like, like, you know, kind of consumer facing work. Cause then it's like, how does that relate to them? Yeah, exactly. I remember when I was applying, like, you know, I had like maybe five different projects that I can like really present. And so I literally created like three different iterations of my presentation, depending on what I wanted to focus on. So, you know, come having come off VMware, like I had a lot of like technical, like API management and app management tools, which didn't really get me like, the job at Meta because that's not really what I went into. I did more of like the inventory management stuff and like the, you know, the stuff I did with the Air Force and with Home Depot, where we were doing more of that type of like supply chain work. And so I had more focus on that versus like when I went to apply for like, you know, a lot of the other developer experience companies where I really put that VMware work up front. And so definitely have to know your audience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this is user experience, you know, like who's, who's the user of this portfolio? <laughs> oh my gosh. Absolutely. I say that in my mentorship sessions, like at least once, maybe once a month where I'm like, you need to think about the UX of your portfolio, even just like the website, like put some navigation on there, like make the headers really like clear on what it is that you're going to read into. And, and you know, that's mm -hmm. something that, you know, people appreciate when they're, you know, considering hiring you. Yeah. And speaking of hiring the, the next, you know, million dollar question. Yeah. People always wonder is like, how, how do you get the job at Facebook at Meta? <laughs> yeah. It is literally like a test of endurance. Oh my gosh. So 
I don't know how long it took. It took a while though. And it's like a lot of interviews. And when I mean a while, like the whole process, right? And then like the all day, you know, interview that is, you know, it's literally all day. So definitely as you kind of go through your interviews, you're going to mess up, right? Like you're going to say something that maybe wasn't perfect. It's about how you recover. You know, it really is because they're also like just making sure that like, you know, you, you, you're, your EQ is high enough to be like, you know what, that wasn't perfect, but let's move on. You know how to recover. And I think honestly, a lot of the consulting experience that I had at Pivotal Labs definitely helped out in that because you would literally need to be thrown into a project. I was thrown into a project with the Home Depot, like day one. I'm like, I don't even know your all's process, like what's going on here. So I would say like, definitely be resilient, you know, definitely be comfortable in your own skin. And when it comes to putting your work together, you know, definitely make it engaging. I feel like a lot of folks like just kind of go through the motions of talking through like their projects, but really make it conversational. Like, so one thing I did was I like literally wrote out my entire presentation. And I know like first that might sound like, oh, like that's going to sound so like robotic or so whatever, but it wasn't so that I can read it it was so that I could memorize it. And so that mm-hmm. I could keep working on it. Like just consider a, a stand-up comedian. Stand-up comedian has to write that, right? But when the stand-up comedian goes up on stage to deliver it, it doesn't sound like they're reading off a paper. They've written it because they want to make sure that every single word gets crafted so that it comes off the right way. And right. so you, you need to do that. And then not only that, but like, you can also like write variations in certain parts of your presentation. So like, if you get a feeling like off the audience, so when you interview, you're going to get somebody that's super like dry or like doesn't really like want to laugh or anything. (laughs) And then you'll get somebody that's way more nice and jovial or whatever. Right. And so like, you can even like insert like a little like joke here, there, a little, you know, a little whatever extra. And so I think, you know, just being that detail oriented with your, what I like to call a performance is really key because it's going to make you stand out and it's going to make you feel authentic. It's going to make you feel like somebody that somebody wants to work with. Oh, plus one to that is, you know, folks who don't think that that's a valuable skill, like as you get up in management, you know, the individual IC visual skills or UX, you know, kind of like technical skills, they still matter, but also like these soft skills of presentation and presenting, being able to defend your work, especially if you're leading and managing a team, it's so important to be able to come off speaking very prepared, very polished. One thing I've learned from my, my leadership team, you know, and folks who, you know, we've hired who have experience that, uh, you know, that it's one of the things is that, you know, we practice this message. Like, for example, like Steve Jobs, I think he's been known to practice his keynote, you know, like over and over. And yeah, he delivers it. Like it looks very fluid compared to maybe some other CEOs. And it's because he just practices and practices, you know, who I think we, we work with Salesforce, for example, and, you know, they have Dreamforce, but, you know, even leading up to Dreamforce, you know, they, they have a dry run event, like several dry runs of that. So people practice it as well, their delivery, because it's a big deal there. They have tons of customers and vendors and partners and, you know, it's uh, getting that right is, is important. So you work with at a couple of agencies and I would say, you know, looking at your pattern, a lot of kind of B2B SaaS companies, Meta is more B2C, you know, kind of more consumer oriented. Why Meta? You know, why now? Yeah, I mean... Honestly, it's one of those 
like I, I, you called it out right now, right? Like B2B. I, I definitely have spent a lot of my career building internal tools and like, you know, being a consultant and, and helping other companies. But I feel like now, I'm now in my career where I want to go back to kind of like my origins and like working in graphic design, working on consumer things. And so I kind of made the transition knowing that like, you know, I might, you know, be working on some of these internal tools early on, but like I am sort of kind of moving towards that direction. And like, honestly, some of the things that are happening at Meta really got me excited, especially with everything you hear about the metaverse and like what those experiences are going to be like. And, you know, I think with all of the experience that I had in design thinking, I think I bring like a really good lens to a lot of that, just in the sense of like, it's so ambiguous of a space where it's like, you're not only going to need like really polished, like visual design skills, you're going to need to like rethink on like what commerce is like, what, you know, like, you know, having a community is like, and like what those experiences are like. And so like getting into a space that is still so nebulous is like, for me as like a design thinker and like somebody that loves strategy, that like, those are some of the most interesting challenges of our time that for, from a design perspective, you know, that I, I want to be at the forefront of that. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think with with their rebrand and kind of how they're thinking about the metaverse, yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting time to to be there. Yeah, and you know, like with the team I'm on now, like with commerce, you know, I you know, transitioned into commerce recently, but you know, I. We, I have such a connection with small businesses just because my parents were, you know, small business owners themselves. And, you know, just everything that Meta does around like building community and making connections with people and like opening new doors and leveling the playing field just speaks volumes to like my story, you know, and like had my parents had these same tools, like maybe they wouldn't have like been so scared to like scale their business. Right. You know, and like with a lot of the tools that they have, like, like I bought my parents a portal, like they absolutely love it. Like they talk to my son like every day, you know, and can see him versus the experiences that I had growing up with my grandparents being in Mexico or like, I literally never saw them. I saw them once a year when we would go visit. And even before then, like when my dad first came to this country, like he literally had to call a store in his hometown, tell someone to go get his mom and that he'll call back in an hour. And that, you know, she would be there waiting in an hour, he would call back and like, that's how they had to do it. Like, that is crazy. Like, and so being able to work with like a company that like has WhatsApp, which is like literally the biggest messaging app for like, especially in like, you know, non-English speaking country or, you know, like, like it's the biggest tool that my mom uses, right? Like to have that power and like be able to like, just talk to your family over there is like, to me is like really close to my heart for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I vaguely recall when I was very young that that was a very similar experience when, you know, you have relatives in, in small towns where no, not everyone has a phone. Yeah. You, you go to the one public place that has a phone and you call and they like, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll tell your relatives and then they'll call you back and you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. My, and then, you know, kind of similar story to your parents, like my, my parents now, you know, they're, they're, they're not tech savvy and they don't use computers, but like the tablet and with applications, like simple applications, like FaceTime and video, like they really embrace that. And they, you know, they talk to my niece and nephew almost every day through, through that. And that's been just an amazing. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And like, making it easy enough for them and accessible enough for them is also something that like, I really want to work on as well, because, you know, I think we've all been through this experience where you're 
parent doesn't know necessarily how to do something. You're like, it's just this, just see the thing, just click on that, go here. Do you, uh, and like, so as a designer, it's like, I always know that it's not their fault. Like yeah. they're a user, like they're just as valuable as any other user. And like, we should be designing for them too. Right. I mean, and so it's just always an interesting conversation having with them and like just a lot of patience. But, you know, in the end, I know that if I spend the extra time with them, that it's going to pay off because then they'll know how to use it. And then, you know, they'll be able to, to, to feel more comfortable with it. Yeah. That's a, that's a great lead into something we, we talked about before the interview is, you know, we, I think part of why I started this podcast was to also to feature, you know, more diversity, you know, whether it's women, Latinos, or South Asian, Southeast Asians like me kind of in the industry, which is, you know, not, not very common in North America. Yeah. So talk to me more about some of that, you know, kind of through your mentorship and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something, honestly, in the mentorship, like I definitely get a lot of diverse folks, like, and not just from here, from all over the world. And I feel like it's, you know, part of, you know, my duty to extend that, you know, sort of, you know, hand to other folks to come into the industry because, you know, it it is, it is still like, we still have a lot of work to do in, in the tech industry, especially with like, you know, getting higher up the ladder. Right. And so, you know, I definitely talk to folks from, you know, all over, like definitely a lot from India, from Africa, South America, Mexico. But I, I also think that we have a lot of work, not just to do with like, you know, finding folks from other countries, but also like, you know, I remember I grew up in the city of Chicago and like, there were definitely underrepresented communities within Chicago. Right. And like, I feel like part of the reason that I'm in tech is because of one teacher in high school and it was like 1997 and he had a budget enough to buy a few computers and he bought like not even photoshop it was like called photo impact it was like <laughs> a knockoff brand you know and like i that's like one dream i have is to like also make it accessible to like underrepresented communities because it was that teacher that brought this into my life that made me want to get into this field and Honestly, working at DevMind, working at the Chicago Sun-Times, you know, there was never anyone from the city of Chicago that actually I ever worked, even though we were in the city of Chicago, you know, there were very few people They were all from the suburbs, they were all from other places. And I'm like, just west of Western Avenue is a completely different city. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, everyone that lives on the east side of that comes from somewhere else. Everyone on the other side is like a lot of the same people that I went to school with. Right. And like, I I really wish that even in that regard, that we would open more opportunities for a lot of, you know, underprivileged kids in our own communities. Yeah. Having been back recently, I'm seeing some, some of these initiatives and opportunities. Yeah. Hopefully in, in our work of mentorship, we're, we're kind of making it more accessible. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Eric, uh, thank thank you so much for taking the hour to spend and and talk to us and and share your knowledge. I really appreciate it. So we'll link to your ADP profile for anyone who wants to connect. And where where can we see your work? Is it on the Instagram seller side of things? Yeah. If if you want to be, you know, if you want to open up your own shop and, you know, have a business account, I'm working on those tools. So very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. 
Definitely. And uh, I also have my website and like ericarius.com and I have my medium. I have a few blog posts on there or if you want to, you know, connect with me, LinkedIn or, or Twitter. Great. Great. I, we will link those in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us on this episode of What is UX? If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you leave us a review, I'll make sure to shout it out on the show. If you have any questions, send them to questions at whatisux.co and our guests and I will try to answer them on the show. And you can always find us on whatisux.co. See you on the next one.